Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, and uh, on this one, we are going to uh, be reviewing K-State's 2019 uh, signing day recap here for uh, you know a class of uh, 25 Wildcats that signed uh, as part of the early signing day uh, last Wednesday, and give you a kind of a look into what uh, our evaluation is. Uh, I'm bringing in Quentin Hooper here for this, our, our the Short Side Options very own recruiting expert. And uh, Quentin, it's a uh, it's a class that um, you know has a good amount of variety, especially on the defensive side of the football, uh, up and down the class. And uh, checking in right now uh, via rivals uh, at 43rd uh, in terms of the overall team rankings, uh, which is I believe I saw a five year high uh, for the program. So uh, positive steps here in uh, in the right direction in Chris Kleiman's first full class here at K State. Yeah. So uh, again, thanks for having me again here. Absolutely. Icon. Absolutely. Always happy to be on the short side option. And uh, no, I think to your point, this is a really good foundational starting class for Chris Kleiman. Uh, ranked top 50 in, by both uh, recruiting websites. And, and I think covered a lot of bases that we needed um, to add depth uh, for the future over the next couple of years. So I would say that this class is probably a little bit more heavy defensively um, than offensively. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, just using rivals uh, ratings, and I, I would assume that it, it's pretty well mirrored on the on uh, the twenty four seven side of things. But uh, K State's top three commits in terms of, or three of the top commits: uh, Jeremiah Harris, Nate Matlock, and Taylor Warner. Taylor Warner listed at defensive tackle, but I believe K State's playing on using him more on the offensive side of the ball uh, there. So that's a little bit misleading. But w- I, when I look at this defensive um, this defensive side of the ball in terms of what K-State did recruiting-wise, I look at a couple defensive backs that kind of stick out to me. Uh, T.J. Smith, T. Denson, uh, and then also kind of looking at the junior college um, side of things with the uh, two defensive tackles, uh, Derek Newton and uh, Robert Hitz. Um, that um, you know are guys that are going to provide kind of day one uh, depth at, uh, along the defensive line as as uh, you know guys like Trey Deshaun are, are going to be uh, you know moving on up for graduation. Nope, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you looked at, across the board. I think it was definitely more defense heavy. Um, on this recruiting class. And I think you can look at our current roster at K-State. A lot of returners coming back on offense in the skill positions, quarterback, running back. Um, obviously, the offensive line you're replacing, um, where I think Dawson Delforge is signing out of Butler County, is going to be a plug-and-play guard that you can um, expect yeah. from day one to come in and give immediate contributions. Uh, but I really like some of the signings they had on that defensive side of the ball, where uh, I think you're going to see some filtering and some depth being built out there. Uh, immediately at the D-tackle position, Robert Hentz out of uh, Mississippi, uh, I believe it's Cinetopia, I think that's Northwest Community College, uh, as well as a name that's familiar to a, a lot of the short side option listeners, uh, and Derek Newton, a uh, one-time Kansas State signee out of Georgia, and, and what a lot of people are saying was heralded as a really talented true freshman the year that he spent on campus in Manhattan. Uh, I wound up transferring to Butler due to uh, coaching disagreements, um, which to be fair, I really don't blame him uh, at that point in time with the transition that our previous staff was headed. But uh, I think both of those guys prevent or 
you know, present a little bit of uh, depth with Trey Deshaun leaving, obviously Joe Davies Joe as Davis well as Jordan Mitty. So, yep. um, no, well, I think I think across the board you look and see, and we'll get into the specifics here. Um, I think a well distributed class across a, a lot of positions that um, I think Chris Kleiman, uh, you can tell those are focal points of how he runs his offense and defense. Well, and let's kind of look here a little bit more at the offensive side of the ball. I think obviously when you look at you know, look, looking at the offensive side of the ball, you always look at first the quarterback position. And uh, quarterback there, um, Will Howard, guy out of Dowingtown, um, Pennsylvania, three-star recruit, uh, chose K-State um, over, gosh, I'm going to think, I'm trying to go off memory here, Minnesota, Maryland uh, were some of the bigger ones. Um, Kansas and Rutgers, Kansas, again, Rutgers. They are true powers of their conferences. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and a funny story on Will Howard: uh, University of Kansas canceled his visit the week oh. before he was supposed to to make his uh, visit to Lawrence, and so essentially closed the door for Lucky Less and uh, really solidified um, a recruiting battle that we wound up winning, uh, battling uh, mostly with Minnesota and Maryland, and. Um, to be honest, you know, his senior film came out here in the past several weeks, and yep. I came away very impressed. Um, again, he's rated as a low three-star on Rivals, but um, his frame, arm strength, and how his senior film was put together, he's voted the MVP of the Southeastern Pennsylvania football, whatever conference yep. and league he was in. So, um, And Chris Kleinman touched on that in his uh, signing day press conference earlier this week. You know, stating that he's a winner and, and really like the intangibles that he brings to the offense. Well, and he's got a good build, too. I mean, 6'4", they list him at 205 on rivals, but I believe K-State listed him as like 210, 215. Um, so, you know, you expect by the time that he's able uh, to really, you know, challenge for a starting role on this team, he's going to be 6'4", 6'5", you know, 220. And, I mean, fill out, you know, what K-State wants to do in terms of yeah, I don't think we want to run our quarterback, you know, 20 times a game like, you know, you may be accustomed to see uh, with those Dana Dimmel offenses. But a guy that, as you see Skylar Thompson this year in, in some big situations, especially down by the goal line in short yardage situations, picking up that extra man and being able to run, you saw a little bit of that in his um, in his senior year highlight tape. Uh, thought that that was a nice, uh, you know, I guess a better – it shows a little bit more of his versatility, I guess is the right way to say it, because in some of my previous, in what I'd read and what I'd seen before, he looked to be more of a prototypical dropback passer, but you see a little bit more of that athleticism. Yeah, I think he you know, kind of embodies what we've seen so far in the Chris Kleiman and Courtney Messingham offense of, of the traits that they want their quarterbacks to have, uh, that little bit of wiggle and elusiveness to be able to extend plays and really um, carry out the, that pro style. Um, you know, offense that, that allows your quarterback to, to be successful. And, and another last thing to kind of talk about him, I think that is something that you could look across this whole class, something that's a positive trait, early enrollee. Yeah, absolutely. Will Howard's going to be on campus here starting for the spring semester, and he's one of 12 commits that are going to be here in the month of January, which uh, as you're looking to build a foundation and build your program, you're wanting as much time as possible with your young commits and, and signees to be on campus and, and and start that culture. So I think starting with your quarterback, I think that's a tremendous opportunity that we've got with him. Oh, I, I completely agree. Uh, typically, we're lucky to get a handful of, of guys that are early enrollees. And, and most you, of the time it's a – I mean, you're junior college guys yeah. where, I mean, that's – 
the their ability to sign and kind of the onus is that they show up and have that that extra semester. Yeah. Well, you know, with Will Howard, that he was one in, and it's it's interesting too with Shuba Purdy, who K State <laughs> was after. Um, I remember I was in I was in Boston uh, earlier this year. Uh, in June, I believe, is when his his uh, dis- initial decision date was coming down, and he chose uh, chose Louisville over Kansas State, uh, and we you know we were pretty upset because that was a, that would have been a really you know a nice recruit to pick up and in getting that quarterback already in your in your back pocket in in early June and being able to build this rest of this recruiting class with him as kind of linchpin would be a great thing. Well, he goes off and he ends up uh, decommitting uh, from Louisville and uh, committing to Mike Norvell at Florida State. So, I mean, if, if K-State would have found themselves in the same position where, you know, obviously the dominoes fall the same way where, you know, we get left at the altar on signing day, uh, it would obviously have a little bit different uh, impact on two in terms of who would be able to recruit going forward now to, to fill a quarterback for this class. So it's always interesting when you kind of play that revisionist history with that kind of thing. I uh, I remember where I was exactly when Chuba Purdy uh, announced his commitment, and, and Icon I was in shambles. Yeah, and he chose Louisville over us, and uh, but I guess we at this point we can say bullet dodged. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine where I would be right now as a level-headed thirty-year-old man. Uh, if an 18-year-old switched his commitment it the day been, of signing day. It, so, uh, Will Howard, good on you. Yeah, it, it was a um, – it, it's just always fun to kind of play the the what-if game and kind of reverse engineer things like that. But, uh, yeah, I think K-State fans are going to be really happy with, uh, with what Will Howard um, brings to the table. I don't think he'll probably contribute into – I mean, obviously with Skylar Thompson being back next year – you expect him to, uh, you know, obviously um, maybe be with with Will Howard speaking, probably challenge for third-string quarterback with uh, Jaron Lewis. Um, but with Lewis having been a year in the program, obviously he would have a, have, a, have a leg up. And, you know, Will Howard, like most of this class, we expect to redshirt, of course. But, uh, Back-to-back quarterback signees, but How- Howard and Jaron Lewis, early enrollees, uh, plenty of time absorbing this new offense. I think that bodes well for the depth uh, at a position that um, is, absol- is absolutely critical and, sure. and development is going to be huge for these young guys. So really good signing. Absolutely. Well, this is the first year we've had it in a while where our, we have a quarterback that makes it through the whole season in one piece. And we haven't had to haven't had to go through, um, you know, getting down to third and, and, and second string quarterbacks uh, throughout the season. But Guys that have, you know, high school quarterback experience and don't have nicknames that, you know, remind, remind you of a strip club. So. Yeah. Well, good old Bazooka Joe. He, uh, <laughs> he, did, a, he did all he could for us. But... Uh, Anyway, we'll look here at a couple of the other guys on the offensive side of the ball. Really, when you look at this, uh, in terms of guys that are signed uh, at the offensive skill positions, uh, Keon Mozzie, uh, Deuce Vaughn, Will Swanson, uh, Christian Moore, two tight ends out of this class, and then uh, Jalen Travis, the lone wide receiver, uh, listed. Um, of course, Max Son is uh, still. Uh, and I can't. Pre- I, I'm just calling him Max Son because I cannot. I, I McColvin Son. McColvin. Oh, that's why. That's why you're the recruiting expert. Uh, but with McColvin Son, um, 
not having signed on the dotted line yet, there's still might be some academic work to be uh, to be cleared before he's able to uh, to get to Manhattan. Um, a guy that they some think that he might be a defensive back. I think he's probably better suited to be on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but yeah, let's just kind of go down the list real quick here, just to, just kind of get your thoughts on on the rest of the uh, the offensive players, at, at least in terms of the skill position uh, at this point. Yeah, I think you can start off looking at the running backs and, and trying to give comparisons to to guys that we currently have on the roster at Kansas State, and I think both Keon Mosey and and Deuce Vaughn, you know, both resemble a little bit more of what Phillips Philip Brooks um, looks like in terms of stature and skill sets. Uh, both guys that you know have, um, I guess, a little bit different. Deuce Vaughn, more of a shifty running back, undersized. Kind of reminds you more of like what Dalvin Warmack was coming out of Blue Springs uh, several years ago. Um, put up some video game numbers. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the talent level was. He was playing against in Texas, but um, his dad was a, an assistant coach at Texas um, for several years. So he's got you know good bloodlines coaching and, and and a parent that you know I think he's probably groomed to be a pretty you know, damn good football player. Um, so his highlight tapes, you know, are really impressive. Uh, Keon Mosey's a local kid out of Lee Summit um, who has tremendous speed. He was clocked, you know, at a, at a camp in Lindenwood, uh, which is, from what I understand, not a very forgiving um, metric or, you know, track times. And they clocked him at, you know, an, under a 4-3. So wow. um, a guy that wasn't very vocal or, or uh, on social media. And the word is, is that he accumulated more offers than what his rival status showed. I believe West Virginia and several other schools actually offered. Stay true to his commitment. And I think um, when you look at his film, a little underwhelming. I think he was injured for a majority of the season. But the coaching staff loved his film uh, from his junior year and, and the tape that he put together at the camps and in person and I think fits more of what you'd see out of a prototypical running back in this system, maybe a little bit more like a Joe Irvin and uh, someone that I think you can put in the slot pretty easily. Sure. Um, one guy that we talked about earlier off air uh, that I guess if you think of any of these true freshmen uh, that are going to come in, uh, not counting obviously the junior college players, but true freshmen that are stepping in uh, that might get some um, immediate impact uh, early on, we kind of thought Will Swanson might be that guy. Yeah, I think you know we did talk about that offline. Someone that fits that prototypical tight end build up. A kid that's going to walk onto campus at about 6'5", 240. Game film shows that he, he's not afraid to block. He's not afraid uh, to be able to be physical at the point of contact. And also showed a really good set of hands in terms of pass catching. And I think we've all seen from this past season under climbing how they want to utilize tight ends. And I think we all also saw the the lack of talent that we had at yeah. that position and what we were putting on the field. Uh, God bless his dad for snapping footballs, but Blaze Gammon should not have seen time at, at the Division One level uh, for Kansas State. But that's what we had to make do. And and I think you know, we need to see this hybrid tight end you know, become more of a focal point. And I think on top of Will Swanson, you see a, a local kid, Cody Stuffelbean, which out of McPherson, mm-hmm. who yep. is more of a, I think it's a toss-up. I don't believe that Kleiman and them have designated a position, either defensive end or tight end. But, again, putting numbers at a position of need where Lenners is going to come back, and I believe he's going to get the medical hardship as a junior. And, and Sammy Wheeler coming off of, yeah. uh, off of a pretty devastating injury. But before that, some of the coaching staff was extremely high on in terms of a, of his athleticism and ability yeah. to be a player. You know, of course, Sammy Wheeler started out here as a quarterback. 
um, you know, transitioned over to tight end, I believe, just this offseason. Mm-hmm. And so giving him a whole year, you know, learning the position. But, I mean, when you looked at what his stature was and just kind of what you knew about him as, as a prep, um, you thought that he would bring a different element, if nothing else. And, you know, he wants to get on the field. He would probably could figure out that he was not going to be getting on the field at quarterback. He wants to get on the field. He can help out this team uh, by providing – you know, something they didn't have a whole lot of, and that's tight end depth. And you know, to be a different, to be a different change of pace uh, in terms of a tight end, uh, that that's something that you know, obviously getting injured, um, you know, um, knocks out you know what he was able to do this year. But uh, provide a, a full recovery, you have to kind of feel that this tight end position is a lot more balanced than it, than it has been in years past. Yes, and, and you know, there's been a lot of thought. Um, around looking for a grad transfer or, or, yeah. so, or a JUCO tight end to come in. And to this point, the staff has not made it known that they've been pushing for a tight end or looking for um, another body outside of this high school recruiting class. So I think that shows a lot of confidence that the staff has in both Leonard's Wheeler coming back from injury, as well as what you see out of Cody Stuffelbean and Will Swanson. So uh, the tape looks really great for these guys. I think they they fit that mold. Kind of similar to what, you know, I don't like to use them as a comparison, but what Iowa State's kind of churned out with their tight ends over the past few yeah. years with Kohler and Chance Allen. I think that's more of what we're looking to find, and, and hopefully this we hit our mark on it. Well, that's a really good point you brought up, kind of about the grad transfer market uh, for for the tight ends. Lucas Kroll was the name that everyone, once he announced his transfer from Florida – it was it almost was, a foregone conclusion yeah, he was coming you know, here. A lot of K-State fans were, were feeling very confident about his chances. And now I know he visited Pitt. Did, did he end up? I believe he wound up signing with Pitt. Yeah, I believe he did too. I wasn't. His I dad wasn't, was a K-State alum, played football here. So there was a lot of. Well, just a lot of you know reasoning to why you'd think that we'd be in the picture too. Just yeah. knowing. He, you know, he came down to the decision before he signed with Florida. It was down to us and them and at the time. Uh, Bill Snyder, I don't even think was considering putting a tight end on the field at that yeah, point. Yeah, and and it's hard to blame a guy that oh yeah you know to play tight end that system because you know they were essentially using them as glorified tackles, um, and you know there's still a, an element to that where you know in, in this system you're definitely going to use them to block. I mean, there's no que- there's no uh, question about that, but. I'd have to look back at the numbers, but in terms of just the sheer volume that we've thrown to the tight ends this year, it seems to dwarf the last two years combined. Probably, I mean, if I was if I was to guess in terms of at least targets, but maybe I'm just uh, you know kind of mis overstating that, I guess. But it certainly seems like the tight end is definitely more uh, of a focal point here moving forward. Yeah, and, and speaking of positions of need, uh, this is a signing that probably is going to get overlooked by a lot of people, myself included. But Christian Moore, who wound up being the first commit of this inaugural Chris Kleiman recruiting class, uh, a fullback out of Huntington Beach, California, which I don't know why the heck a kid's playing football when he lives in Huntington Beach, California. There's a lot of whole other things to do, absolutely. But uh, but someone that's going to fill, fill into that role that you know we're going to have Jack Stanine back, Adam Harder, who I guess we're not certain if he's going to get that hardship, but um, a, a position that we have no qualms giving the football to, letting – Young guys get on the field and even catch out of the backfield. So another sign that kind of fits in that tight end, H-back, hybrid role, a uh, guy that's got some 
swanky long hair that I'm really jealous of. And yeah, I, well, hey. And you, gotta, so, you gotta love that. But uh, So that kind of rounds out a little bit of what you'll see in that backfield. Which And then moving into our wide receivers here, you hit on it earlier, you know, McColvin Son, a kid that... Maxon. Maxon, who we're waiting to find out the eligibility issues, which a lot of recruiting analysts have kind of hinted at. Um, yeah. The kid that we've, we've snagged a commitment on early on, and we've kind of battled off some other Big 12 foes. I think is going to be critical, yeah. which when the time this podcast airs, the news of Chris Heron announcing yeah. his transfer out of K-State, yep. um, that's one less body at the wide receiver position, which returns a lot of production depth with Malik Knowles and Youngblood and Phillip Brooks, but again, another talented individual um, that'll be leaving. So I think that puts the onus on us being able to hit on either Maxon or even Jalen Travis, who signed um, out of... Uh, Mansfield, Texas, a kid that not really highly regarded by the recruiting sites, but the staff got in early over the yep, summer. Camped here. Camped here. Yep. They, they really liked the explosiveness and, and what they saw of him being able to attack the football. Uh, a lot of the, some of those playmaker skills, not necessarily top-end speed, but um, with a relatively low number of receivers being signed and, and also attrition, it's important that you know we continue to hit on these limited wide receivers, which – um, you know, they're already batting a 1,000 in my mind with what Josh Youngblood's been able to provide sure. when they brought in. Well, uh, Quentin, I just want to backtrack real quick. I do have to correct you. Uh, Christian Moore was not the first commit under Chris Kleiman here this year. It was actually Nate Matlack. So Chuck went up for the icon, folks, over the recruiting expert. Guys, that's why he's that's, the best. That's, that's he's one, the icon. That's one in the, in the, dub, in the uh, win column uh, here uh, so far. But that's, that's probably the only one I'll give when I'm talking recruiting uh, with the uh, with Quinn, our recruiting expert here. Now, as we get move forward here, if K-State is really wanting to establish the identity they want to establish offensively, which is going to be a physical team that runs the ball, uh, you know, not only to the edges, but up the gut. It's they got to be, they got to be physical. They got to develop a calloused unit uh, on the offensive line. And we talked about Dawson Delforge, uh, Junior college player out of Butler. He's probably going to step right in at one of the guard positions because we're going to be losing five, I'd say four, four to five starters. You could I probably mean, round down Because that, yeah. I mean, with Josh Rivas having played, you know, a fair amount of snaps, uh, you know, this season. And being graded out as the best offensive lineman by by different prognosticators. Yeah, all and, pro and, football focus. And he, I think he earned you know. second or honorable mention, you know, all league as a guy that wasn't getting starter reps every game, which I thought was actually pretty impressive. You know, and he, I thought he always did a fine job when he was in there, but I know he, I'd have to look back at, you know, snap counts on that, but it seemed like he was maybe playing about what, 40% of the time, you know, give or take. But anyway, he'll be locked in at one of the guard positions, potentially maybe one of the tackle positions if they decide to swing him out. He seems more like a guard to me. Uh, at least that's where he's shown that he's been comfortable so far. But we look at, <coughs> excuse me, we look at Delforge as a guy who's going to step in right away, probably. Um, but there's some other interesting guys uh, that we got here in this um, recruiting class. Kind of talk to me a little bit about what you think of some of the offensive linemen in in this class. I know one in particular uh, you're particularly excited about. Yeah, so I think to kind of start off the offensive line unit, I think if there was one glaring weakness that 
uh, to this point, our, the staff wasn't able to connect on was landing an instant impact offensive yep. tackle from the JUCO ranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we swung and missed on several guys, you know, uh, of note, including Jacob Gamble, a kid that was out of Iowa Western that wound up signing with West Virginia. I know that our good friend Delu and myself are really excited about the potential of that. Um, so this signing class, as of right now, at this evening, um, really lacking in that JUCO offensive tackle. But I do think that Delforge provides some impact there at the guard position. But to start and look at the high school ranks, uh, I think we are seeing exactly what Connor Riley is looking for in offensive tackles. Uh, both of our tackle commits, uh, Carver Willis out of Durango, Colorado, and my man Whit Mitchum. Remember that name, folks. He's an well, and I have I have more to say about him. And Go not ahead. the deodorant either. No, uh, this kid, he's, a, he's a Mitchum man. All this right, is man. a guy that um, who's. N- up to this point last week was not ranked by either recruiting site. Um, out of a small town, McKenzie, Tennessee, uh, the second that his film went um, on social media, he had um, offers from, I believe, us and KU were the first Power 5 schools to offer, and Connor Riley uh, was pretty much living in his uh, house for the past week and a half. And the big question was whether he was going to sign in the early signing period with us. And it's a big thing we did. And it's apparently down to the wire, the likes of LSU, Auburn, Tennessee. uh, We're on his door knocking, hoping that he would slip through the cracks into the late signing period, um, kind of serving as a backup option. But he actually, the the cat signal came out from Taylor Brait. On Tuesday evening, right before signing day, that he was getting locked up and, and affirming his commitment. And when you look at his film, the guy looks like he just eats nails. Uh, I don't think that there was a defensive tackle or DN that he didn't absolutely pancake in, in any of his film. And again, you have to look at the, the level of competition, but the frame, this he's listed, frame. he's listed at about 6'7", 250, not a lot of baby fat there, left yeah, to lose. And, there's not much fat on that frame and at it's 250. A, and there's a lot of raw power, but I think when you look at Riley and what he's wanting out of out of that frame and, and what he's wanting to coach up, I think he he fits the bill for what we're trying to do. And even Carver Willis out of Colorado, both of these guys, they're filmed that there's a lot of nastiness and toughness. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I was um, impressed by that. Which by listening to Connor Riley on the sidelines during several of our K-State games this year, uh, I think fits his demeanor and fits what he's wanting out of his linemen. And, and I think there was this year, I think you and I have talked about this icon, about how our offensive line performed this year. And there was a lot of times where there was a – it seemed like there was a lack of juice and a lack of yeah. toughness, and and I'm hopeful that this, you know, si- the signings of some of these players kind of, you know, show what we can expect moving forward, and and that's even without talking about Taylor Warner. Who, yeah, and that's that's a guy who I was going to get to, but I wanted to uh, to uh, bring go back to the Whip Mitchum, uh, his kind of his story as a recruit. Um, I was listening uh, to uh, John Kurtz and. Uh, on the game, uh, I believe it was on Wednesday, um, as they as I was driving home from work, and they had uh, Derek Young of uh, of K State Online on there, and he was saying that that Ed Orgeron was on the phone with uh, Whit Mitchum that night before he committed to go to K State, encouraging him to hold off uh, his uh, recruitment, his commitment. Uh, until the later signing period, because they might be able to kind of maneuver the numbers around or you know find a spot for him. So, you know, you look at him and you see he's oh I had him just pulled up two star five point four. You don't think much of it, but 
his recruitment was really building later on here in the period, and it is a uh, it's one of those stories where it's tough for K State to go into places that they. I mean, this is the first recruit we've got out of Tennessee, and God knows when. Maybe ever. I mean, it's not. I'm I'm sure it's not the first ever, but I can't think of another one that we've gotten out of Tennessee. Having a hard time trying to recall. But when you find these, when you go to, I mean. McKenzie, Tennessee. I, I don't think that's a stride in Metropolis out there. You're you're finding these kind of um, going off the beaten path here in SEC country to go find a guy who is a late bloomer. Those are the kind of guys that that uh, you know you, you love to kind of get in here and uh, you know you don't want to give those big boys down the SEC the chance to let them fall into your lap by being proactive and. And uh, you know, hitting the road to go watch him play a basketball game. They wanted to go watch him uh, play a high school basketball game. And you know, a lot of offensive line coaches love seeing that because it gives you a really good idea of how well these guys are able to move on their feet. Yep. And and I think this is a big win for several reasons. I think number one, when you look at a new recruit or a new coaching staff, you want to see how they evaluate talent. Mm-hmm. And number two, you want to see how they can close on talent. Yep, absolutely. And, in, and Whit Mitchum's a perfect case of both of those where they were able to see immediately that he fits the bill for what they're wanting out of their offensive linemen. Um, and that's a big, big props to, to Connor Riley to be able to identify it and, and also for Kleiman to be full force where they did a full in-home visit the week of the Thursday before signing day. They brought him onto campus um, they, there was a list of schools trying to, you know, battling for him to visit campus that final weekend before signing day. And, you know, the sell job by our entire staff. I mean, this is, again, when you're battling the likes of Ed Ordron, who's AP coach of the year, you know, yep. the hottest team in the country, and yep. you're able to persuade a kid to take a scholarship, you know, the bird in one hand. You know, I think that's, again, it's we're, we're projecting out several years, but – by all accounts, you know, there's a lot of positive momentum behind this on the offensive line. Well, let's uh, let's switch over to the other side of the ball. Let's switch over to defense. As we mentioned earlier, most of this class, when I look at it, is centered around the defensive side of the ball. Um, and we look at what I think is a really impressive uh, kind of close to the class in terms of what they did um, with guys like um, – JoJo Wilson not being able to to sign here in the early signing period, uh, but going out and um, getting guys like uh, Armis Brown, Justin Gardner, T. Denson to fill their spots, and you know, I mean, when you look at the offer list, might even be better. And not only to find these suitable replacements uh, for guys, but also just further building up the defensive backs. And when I when I read down the list here, uh, Armis Brown. Six foot one seventy five. Justin Gardner, defensive back out of uh, Hutch Junior College, six two one seventy five. T Denson, six one one seventy five. Well, they all weigh the exact same, which is something. But they're all also above six foot tall, and they fit that kind of mold that I think this staff is really targeting and doing a good job of finding cornerbacks, uh, defensive backs that really uh, are rangy and and. Uh, match up well in coverage against, you know, the kind of wide receivers you see week in, week out in the Big 12. Yeah, I think you you hit on that term, rangy. Uh, this cornerback recruiting class, or the list of signees, uh, is a stark contrast to the to the cornerbacks that we were 
starting this year when you look at an A.J. Parker or a Walter Neal or, and even to an extent Lance Robinson. Uh, these guys more resemble what you see with an Eco Boydo yeah. who, who started to get a significant playing time on special teams this past year. More of Tyreek Lewis from last year. Guys with long frames that can put on some weight and Kleiman called that out in his press conference. They need <coughs> guys to be able to, to put on weight and to, to be forceful at the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, outside of, you know, Whit, we talked about Whit Mitchum, another huge recruiting kill was landing T. Denson. Yeah, out, absolutely. Out of the state of Cedar Grove, Georgia. Um, a kid that's a winner who just, you know, capped off a Georgia State title. and Bleed back-to-back, too. Back-to-back-to-back. And, and, again, Kleiman hinted that guys that are winners. And, uh, you know, he, his offer list might be the most impressive of anyone, you know, on this signing class where we beat out down the end of the road Virginia Tech, uh, and Purdue for his services and previously committed to Pitt. Previously committed to yep. Pitt, uh, long range. They really like how he how he battles and and tackling and and that goes along with you know and other commits that are a little under the radar. Um, to Jerry Smith, also out of Florida, uh, who at one point was committed to Mike Norvell at Memphis, and we flipped him at the height of Memphis during the yeah, season. After, exactly after they had just beaten. I think uh, they just SMU. had hosted, yeah, just hosted game day, and so I and you know by all accounts, ri- or the rivals uh, analyst Chad Simmons said that by both accounts these guys were major steals and coups for the for the K State Wildcats out of the state of Georgia on getting physical uh, defensive backs that they're going to fit in. And you talked a little bit about Amaris Brown earlier, uh, a, a signing day, you know, surprise, surprise, a kid that we had on campus. Yep, and I think that kind of shows the chops of our coaches. Knowing full well that we were probably going to have some eligibility issues with a JoJo um, Wilson and a and a Maxon, where you know they kind of had an ace up their sleeve and and a kid that by all accounts again had a great offer list um, from the likes of some Big Ten, uh, I believe some ACC schools and a kid that's going to fit in in that safety nickel position that you know listed around six foot 175 pounds. Again, you really don't know what these true measurements are, but again, guys that have offers that we're winning recruiting battles for. It's a, it's just night and day different than what we as K-State fans have been used to seeing on the recruiting trail the past few years. Yeah, no doubt a welcome change. Uh, Armis Brown uh, out of uh, Sefner, Florida, chooses uh, K-State over West Virginia. Uh, Rutgers, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, Missouri, Minnesota, Indiana, Iowa State. So a nice little offer list there, at least in terms of um, you know some of the Power Five showing twenty six offers uh, for him. I believe I remember uh, you know him being a Indiana commit previously. I, I think that they're the, if I remember correctly from Kleiman's and Kleiman's uh, uh, comments, they kind of like uh, Brown as a little bit more maybe as a safety. Even. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but showing that ability to whether if it's play safety, he's listed a cornerback on rivals. Most of his film, um, you know, shows him moving around. But showing that versatility uh, is something to really um, you know be excited about because you know the more uh, you know the more spots they can throw in uh, the and the more diverse your skill set is, the better for the team. And uh, you know that's something that uh, gets you on the field a whole lot quicker. And, well. and I think you can see from this year watching Scotty Hazelton's defense, our safeties are extremely active at the line of scrimmage, expected to come up and tackle. Um, and you know, I think you know we saw a lot from Goolsby as well as Jones, Wayne Jones. You know, playing as a redshirt freshman, you know, where a lot was expected of them. You know, manning that defensive secondary. And so I think you're seeing these 
these guys with longer wingspans, rangey guys that can cover up a lot of ground. Uh, that's absolutely needed playing in the Big 12 Conference. Let's uh, let's go down to uh, the linebacker group here with um, Jeremiah Harris, who the uh, arrivals the highest uh, rated recruits. I believe if I I'm pulling up his page now, but I remember he had an offer list that was awful impressive. Oklahoma State was in after him. Missouri, Missouri. Arkansas. He had yeah. pretty much a litany of SEC, Big Twelve um, offers. Uh, I believe Nebraska, big, big Ten schools. Yep. Um, at the at the time of his commitment, um, I believe he's out of Shadow Creek again, a high school powerhouse in the state of Texas, playing for a state championship this weekend. Uh, a kid that. Kind of showed that this coaching staff could go out and land guys that were um, higher ranked, higher three stars, four star kids, and and he's been a real vocal um, person for this recruiting class. You know, echoing other commitments and pushing on guys to sign. And uh, I the game fell on him. He's a very elusive linebacker, a guy that flies sideline to sideline and ha- does not shy away from contact in the least bit. So oh, I think it's a really good. Linebacker, which is going to be critical after you know, next year where we're going to have a lot of seniors leaving mm-hmm. the program yeah. after Elijah Sullivan, Justin Hughes, Cody Fletcher all moving on. Yeah, and it you have to feel pretty good about the athleticism of what a, a, rec- what, a, of what a linebacking core, not necessarily even next year, but the year following, could look like with uh, Daniel Green, uh, Demarquis Hayes, Jer- Jeremiah Harris. You know, they're the. You look at these kind of bodies and these kind of athletes, and you know, with K State, um, you know, playing the Big Twelve, you have to be able to not only protect against the run, which you know linebackers uh, you know find themselves in the middle of, but you have to be able to cover out out uh, in, in coverage with with the wide receiver. Well, not necessarily with wide receivers, but running backs out of the backfield. Uh, at, at times as well. So you have to like the athleticism that they're adding about linebacker room. Um, I kind of want to go – let's just look here at the defensive line here. That's kind of the last um, the last group that we uh, need to kind of cover. We mentioned uh, Derek Newton and uh, Robert Hintz earlier, two guys that we're expecting to, uh, to kind of contribute early on. Um, the one thing I would say with Newton, and we, we alluded to this earlier – him having been here before, him having been D D one before, that helps. Um, with hints, I am a little bit worried that he might be a bit of a tweener in terms of his his length and his size. He's listed six two two seventy to play, you know, defensive end in the Big Twelve. You'd like him to be a little taller. You'd like to be able to. You know, maybe show a little bit because in a lot of his video, he kind of. Tank Reese would like to have a word with you, sir. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. There, there are there are some exceptions, but in a lot of hints, this film he did a lot of his work in the interior. You just kind of wonder how that translates. But guys that uh, you know were productive in junior college, of course, with uh, with Newton having been here, K State, a lot of these. You know, I know Taylor uh, Taylor Bratt knows knows him well. Obviously, having recruited him the first time around. His connections to Butler are, are well known. So he his dad coached him at Butler. Dad coaches him. At, yeah. So he, um, I don't think that there's anyone that probably knows kind of that situation better than Taylor Bratt. Yeah, and and to your point, I think that's the big one up that Derek Newton's got. He's a three for three player. He's got three mm-hmm. more years of eligibility. He's a bounce back. Um, you know, essentially that has 
knows the ropes of what this program is, knows what D1 looks like, and you know, he did what you would expect him to do at the JUCO level. He was first team all Jayhawk conference. He had outstanding numbers. He was, you know, outside of Latrell Bankston, I think he was the most dominant defensive lineman in the country uh, on the JUCO ranks. So I think he's going to fill in a nice void. And I, th- I do think that your um, the criticisms and things that you worry about with Hintz are real. Uh, but when you look at the rest of the signees in this class, Ronald Triplett, a high school kid out of Shadow Creek, teammate of Jeremiah Harris, a guy that's kind of a weird tweener body where they expect him to be able to put some weight on um, yep. if he's going to be at the defensive tackle. Or you know, they've, We've got a luxury right now of knowing that we have an all-Big 12 potential player of the year in Wyatt Hubert at one defensive yep. end position. So, um, But that's... That's not to say that next year might be his last. He yeah, could declare definitely. Early, I, so. I think that you almost have to. You hope it's not. I mean, obviously, you want him to stick around as long as he as as long as you can. But you have to kind of operate on the on the assumption that it could be. I mean, that it that it. I don't even know if I would say it's more likely than not, but it, I'd say it's about fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, just barring, kind of, barring a serious injury or something else that's unforeseen, but he's. He exceeded all my expectations this year in terms of production and what he's meant to our defense and and kind of spinning off that, a player that I think could potentially, again, you're looking at projections and and what players' potentials are. Uh, Nate Matlack, you called earlier our first signee of this class, a kid that's played linebacker. Um, He was one of our higher-ranked players, a kid that's got a tremendous frame and freakish athleticism that when you look at whether he's able to put on some weight, kind of fits that defensive end, um, large outside linebacker role. And yep. so I think that's re- it's going to be a real test for our defensive staff and Hazleton and Buddy White to develop these younger guys that are defensive ends, D-tackles, and, and make sure that we're able to keep a, a heavy rotation, which um, after watching us play this year, they are not shy at all about no. getting guys in there. And Khalid Duke was a perfect example <laughs> of a true freshman this year that got in, played meaningful snaps, and was Pretty good um, in times. It showed a lot of flash of athleticism yeah. and getting to the quarterback. Absolutely. And, you know, let's we, we talked a little bit about uh, Matlack. Let's talk about another Kansas product, uh, Cody Stuffel being uh, the uh, defensive end out of McPherson. Um, you know, really, when you look at an offer list, too, might be one of the better ones. Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, all offered. Colorado. Colorado, uh, another one. Um, but he decides to stay home, um, goes to K-State, you have, you hope that you have two guys with uh, Stufflebean and Matlack that are kind of bookend rushers that you know meet at the quarterback. Um, you know here here for K State. Kind of what do you what do you think about you know what you see from Stufflebean and how he kind of fits in? So when you watch his game film, an extremely raw athlete, um, a, a, a lot of power, a lot of aggression uh, at the point of attack. Um, he's very physical. Um, you can tell that. I actually had the luxury of having a friend that coached him a little bit at McPherson said that uh, the kid is only, you know, at, at the bottom of his potential at this point, you know, in terms yeah. of nutrition, college weightlifting. I think he can p- probably put on another 20 to 30 pounds and, and still maintain a lot of that speed. And I think, you know, that's a big thing with this class is we've got the luxury of our staff being able to get a hold of whether it's Stufflebean or Taylor, Taylor Warner and finding that position of need and starting to groom them. And I, it'll be really interesting to watch through spring practice for these kids that are coming in early to see where they're fitting in the depth chart and seeing where um, they're finding their niche in the program. Well, we've pretty well gone through, uh, you know, the 
high points of this class and, and gone over at a high level, uh, getting down to uh, you know individual players as well. I'm sure I left out some things, Quinn, and that's why I'm having you kind of clean me up here. So I'm going to ask you a couple different questions and uh, just kind of get your overall thoughts here. When you look at this class, and I'm going to say here in three years, uh, when this, this class is either redshirt sophomores or juniors at this point, when you look back at this class, give me two or three names that you think are going to be looked at as maybe the most impactful uh, from what they've done here at Kansas State. I think to, to kind of cherry pick it, I think you could always look at the quarterback position and see, you know, after Skyler leaves next year, it's going to be um, – It'll be an open competition. It'll be an open competition. Yeah. I think, you know, for our program, you lean on the shoulders of your quarterback. And I think if we're going to be successful, you know, we're going to have to see a lot – um, out of Will Howard and, and as a quarterback. And I do think he's got some of the intangibles by hearing what, what Kleiman says about him. But um, if we're leaving quarterback out of this, I say we, you know, you look at Mitt or Whit Mitchum as, a, as an offensive tackle prospect, someone that looks like, you know, if he could put on another 30 pounds, um, which they think he can, you know, looks like an NFL tackle mm-hmm. body. Yep, um, absolutely. Someone that's going to be, you know, your linchpin for your offensive line and kind of a, a cornerstone for your offense and, and if you look across the board on the defense, I think the way that the Big 12 is progressing and the offenses that were if if uh, well, what's his name out of Oklahoma never leaves, you know, yeah. they're going to keep. Uh, my Cowboys might have something to say about uh, Lincoln Riley <laughs> moving moving a little bit south of the Red River, but, but if, uh, if they keep bringing in you know five star wide receivers, it'll be critical that we have a secondary that can go you know toe for toe with them. I think. Landing athletes like a T. Denson is something that puts you in the right direction. Of a Jeremiah Harris at linebacker, those are the athletes that you need to win recruiting battles for. Um, for guys that are multi-year starters um, that can come in as a redshirt, you know, freshman, redshirt, sophomore, and provide instant um, production. So, I think those are those are some of the ones. And I also I'm a huge believer in Taylor Warner. Uh, yeah, I don't care what position they put that kid at, but. Kleiman has come out and said that he's never seen a, a, a freshman, and he's still only 17. He is, I think, one of the youngest players in this signing class. He won't turn 18 until after his first full spring in Manhattan. Wow. Again, an early enrollee, a kid that's already at 6'4", 270. And, you know, some of our other recruiting fanatics, you know, they've only watched him dunk a basketball before, and we're already sold that he can. Yeah. And, uh, again, a kid that – you need to win recruiting battles for and that you can, you know, you'll find spaces on your football program for guys like that. But again, you know, to kind of round it out, uh, a program that's not going to no, knock your socks off when you look across the stars and the overall rankings. But again, looking at the past five years, this is a trend in the positive direction by just showing the amount of time that our coaches are putting into recruiting and, and identifying players and, uh, I think you can already trend to look at the next year for 2021 where K-State, we've got commitments from three of the top five players in the state of Kansas. Yep. And I think recruiting will continue to be so important over the next year and a half when you look at other local programs struggling. And the University of Missouri you know, bringing in a brand new coach and losing yep. a lot of their main Kansas City recruiting ties with Andy Hill not being retained. The joke that's going on in Lawrence right now with Les Miles just spurning Kansas high school relationships, cutting kids, and yep. uh, as well as you know Nebraska floundering, not making a bowl game. So I think there's a lot of optimism for our staff, and you can hear it listening to high school coaches, and as well as 
our coaches, um, you know, pounding the pavement and getting in the homes of these kids. So I want to ask you another kind of quick question here as we wrap this up. You know, there's always a, um, at, you know, at K-State, I, I know Trey Deshaun has it uh, tattooed on him, diamond in the rough. Uh, what's a guy in this recruiting class that, you know, when you look at whether if it's a star rating or, you know, what, you know, our, our fellow recruiting insiders may think of them, that, you know, nah, they're not so high on it. But what it maybe is one guy that you're a little bit higher on than maybe everyone else is? You know, we talked a little bit already about Whit Mitchum, and I think, you know, he fits a lot of those, you know, intangibles, things that, you know, you can't see on film, but I think, you know, can can really provide a lot of benefit later on. Um, I would probably say a guy that could provide a lot of benefit down the line if he continues to grow and fill out Ronald Triplett, um, the defensive end, D-tackle, out of Shadow Creek High School in Texas. Um, when you look at his offer list, nothing, not a lot there, but I think that's a kid that projects out um, down the road that could be a really big piece for a defensive unit that you know, we're going to need to be successful. Well, uh, I think that pretty well uh, puts, a, puts a bow on this one, wraps this one up. Uh, Quinn, is there anything else? that we didn't get to that you'd like to give us a parting word on. I think you and I did a fantastic job. Not to toot my own horn, but I oh, I think we did a terrific job. I think we did a terrific job. I think we did a terrific job. So that will do it here for uh, our signing day recap here on, on K-State's uh, 2020 recruiting class, 2019 signing day. Uh, after a short break, we will be back to give our Liberty Bowl preview. And uh, we might just have an addition here to this short side option uh, podcast uh, that will give his thoughts here on on uh, the recruiting class as well. Uh, join us after the break. All right, we are back here on the short side option, and at this time we're going to welcome in Dell. He's back. Uh, well, I've been here the whole time. I was just sitting silently listening to uh, to our friend Quentin and you break down the class. Uh, I thought you guys did a great job, and uh, just my two cents. Good class. Good class. Anyone that sticks out in particular? Oh, I like. Um, I really like that uh, Will Howard guy. You like the quarterback. Yeah, I like that guy. Huh? Uh huh. I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, but no, I I like Jeremiah Harris a lot. But I'm a sucker for highly touted linebackers out oh, of Florida. Whom amongst us isn't? Yeah. You know so. Yeah, I think it's a uh, you know as Quinn and I said a nice class. Um, it's a nice class. It's a nice, it's class. A nice class, and you know it's um, it's going to just be the start of things here uh, for Chris Kleiman and company. Well, uh, as we talk about Chris Kleiman and you know what has been uh, his first season here at the helm uh, for K State, uh, it comes to uh, a conclusion in the Liberty Bowl two forty five kickoff on New Year's Eve. On the mothership, ESPN, uh, where the Wildcats will be taking on Navy, uh, 23rd ranked uh, Navy midshipman team. And, um, you know, if, if K-State fans uh, were able to tune in uh, to the midshipmen's game against Army, they saw quite the display put on by Malcolm Perry. Uh, golly, I mean, I think he ran for, I've got it pulled up here, um, ran for th- 
304 yards on 29 carries for two touchdowns. That um, that speaks to kind of how prolific he's been really throughout the season. Uh, for a quarterback, you know, at, at, at Navy, at Army, at, at any of these service academies, you're not going to see uh, much in the way of gaudy passing statistics. Uh, but with Malcolm Perry, you see him uh, with the rushing st- statistics on the season, 263 carries uh, for 1,800 yards, 21 touchdowns. Uh, speaking of passing statistics, what was Navy's final line passing the football against Army um, in that blowout win they had? Um, well, I know I'm, I'm going to get that looked up for you here, D. Louie, uh, but uh, I know that they did run a little trickeration there uh, at the end with um, with uh, Perry being on the receiving end of – or no, excuse me, that was uh, Jared Carruthers, the uh, – the running back, uh, one of the running backs for, for Navy uh, that got that. But a one of one for one yard and one touchdown is the uh, is the passing line for Navy that was thrown by Chance Warren, who's a wide receiver. Well, that's a pretty efficient line through the air. I mean, QBR of 99 there, Dell. It's a 100% success rate for the uh, midshipmen through the air. So Yeah, that's what you, and, you, know, it's what you like to see. Yeah. You know, I mean, the efficiency uh, is definitely there for – Midship the, for Navy when they do throw the ball, it's not a whole, it's not for a whole lot, but um, gosh, I mean, Malcolm Perry on the year forty three of seventy nine uh, for a little over a thousand yards, so thirteen yards, um, thirteen yards of completion, not, I mean, nothing to to, uh, to scoff at there. Um, Jonathan so, Beasley esque. Yeah, in some in some ways it definitely is. So. But uh, you kind of know what they're going to do offensively. I mean, running out of the flex bone attack. Uh, let's just kind of get down the line here. Quentin, you know, with what you see from this Navy team, um, what kind of sticks out to you? Well, I think it's a really disciplined offense. Again, it's based on uh, the triple option, and it's been extremely successful uh, for the past, I don't know, eight, nine years, forever long, as uh, Ken Nomatolo has been there. Niamatololo. And, I mean, it, you, all you have to do is look at Malcolm Perry and watching him. I think the nation got a good glimpse of him against Army. Good question. Uh, defense is probably not what you're going to see from the average uh, P5 um, defense in terms of athleticism, but he just had that entire defense on skates. So it's going to be really important for our defense to, to be zoned in and really watching the quarterback and keying off him and, and, and also not – you know, being extremely disciplined, not coming up and biting on fakes as well, because all it takes is um, one passing play that's going to turn into a seventy-yard touchdown um, if our safeties aren't paying attention. So, Dilu, uh, we got, we got you in here now. What do you, what kind of sticks out to you about uh, this Navy attack? Well, I mean, it's it's easy to look at, especially if you watch the Army game. It's easy to say, well, this is the Malcolm Perry show, and in a lot of ways, it is. Um, and it's also easy to say, well, shoot, it's um, it's a pretty one-dimensional offense. Let's just key on the run. But it's not quite that simple when you're facing an offense like Navy because, like Quentin said, of just the nature of triple option, um, they'll give to the fullback pretty often. Mm-hmm. And this isn't your big lumbering, you know, Travis Wilson fullback. This is a guy that can run the football and punish you if you're not staying disciplined. Um, and then they'll also do a lot of cool counters and misdirections, misdirections. that they do yep. um, Quick to sweeps. some of the wings and yep. stuff. And so 
It's there's a lot of different things going on, and it's just imperative that uh, the linebackers uh, for K State have what have what they call eye discipline. That's right. And, and that's a very good term, right there. Yeah, that's that's yeah. something that that uh, that I know Kleiman's going to be preaching uh, to the linebackers, just not getting lost in the backfield, not biting on what appears to be the play because there's a lot of moving parts that go on in that backfield. And if you are uh, not staying at home, you can really pay for it. Well, and this Navy attack isn't quite exactly what you would maybe expect from a Navy team in terms of how they run their offense. It's not from under center all the time. I mean, they modernize it to where it looks, I mean, they run it out of the shotgun where they're running, you know, whether if it's just more of a, a standard zone read uh, or, you know, speed options uh, or motioning a guy back behind the quarterback to give a different look to a triple option or a veer. So, Really, when you look at it, it's not maybe you know what you think of as you know what they did under Paul Johnson back in the past. They've they've modernized their attack, but still obviously very much a run heavy attack, and uh, you know something that you know has been very proficient for them this year. I mean, last year, uh, not a typical Navy team. Uh, you know, having this was their they had lost three straight games to Army. This was uh, their first win over Army uh, in the last four years. So Navy had kind of lost a little bit of their uh, their mojo. Last year went 3-10. and ten. This year they rebound, and, and they're right back to where uh, they think they should be in, as being a competitive team in the American and, and uh, you know, really having a nice season. Yeah, they are having a nice season. So, well, let's um, – <clears throat> Let's just kind of switch sides here after kind of giving you an idea of what a Navy does offensively and kind of prepping you for that attack. Let's kind of transition to how we think K-State uh, will kind of attack one Navy's offense and also what K-State wants to do offensively in this one. Well, I, th- I don't think there's any secret sauce, um, and you, you guys may disagree with me, but I, there's nothing p- particular about Navy's defense that should give K-State's offense any more fits than they've had throughout the season. I, you know, Navy has some pretty good statistics, uh, run defense wise, but you have to remember, I mean, this isn't, this isn't exactly a gauntlet they're facing throughout the year. I think K-State's rushing offense. I think it's fair to say that it's probably one of the most talented rushing offenses they'll face all season. I mean, some people would say that Army, for example. But Memphis. Yeah, and, and some of those teams are going to have... Well, Notre Dame, of course, too. Yeah, and Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame. Um, but I think uh, K-State's offense is going to try to do what it does throughout the season, and that's come in and uh, get some... get the ground game going and then try to work out a play action. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's been the... Uh, kind of the formula for K-State all season. Q, you have any kind of additions to that or anything that you might want to key on it if you're K-State? No, I think time of possession and ball security is going to be a huge factor here. If we're able to maintain the football, sustain long drives, and keep a defense that talent-wise is not better than what we faced um, throughout the course of the year uh, and get that lead, I think it's going to be really easy to put the pressure on that offense to, to get them out of 
out of rhythm and force them to do things that they're not accustomed to doing. So I think that's going to be critical for our offense to just take care of the football and and just do what we've done the past couple of games. Uh, I think like Iowa State executing a game plan, taking care of the football. And the same on the defense. Yeah, I think Drew talked about it earlier is, is people, you know, being extremely disciplined well, from the linemen all the way down to the secondary on, on what they're keying on. So, and also depth. I think we're going we're gonna to need bodies coming in on both sides yeah. of the football and, and making sure that, um, that we're healthy. And hopefully this break leading up to the bowl game provides that. Well, let's uh, kind of – That's a, I think that's a really good point that you bring up about staying, uh, you know, staying fresh, you know, with this kind of attack. I mean, it, it's a punishing attack to try to defend. You're getting, you're getting cut, your defensive linemen are, and that's something they're probably not used to seeing on, on a down-by-down basis. I mean, to where they're, they're taking some, taking some uh, low hits uh, to the knees, uh, you know, it's the way they run that offense and, and getting it getting done uh, on the Navy point of things. But when you look at the rotating guys, and that's something that K-State's done consistently all season, and you hope that that kind of pays defense, or pays dividends here uh, for the defense um, in the bowl game if needed as well. Um, let's just kind of go ahead and uh, give our predictions. Well, before we do that, I have oh. one question for you guys. Yeah. At least one time throughout the season, Hazleton has shown that he'll change personnel based on the offense he's facing. And go in, I mean, in that West Virginia game, we weren't playing nickel at the start. We were really playing more of a dime package. Mm -hmm. And so in an offense like Navy that is so run heavy, I mean, now granted, the Army game was an exception. Most of the time they're they're throwing it. in the range of ten to twelve times a game, it's not like they can't make you pay mm-hmm. if you're if you're just selling out. Um, but do you guys see K State maybe trying to do anything funny with uh, personnel or defensive structure? Maybe just adding another linebacker in there, um, or or just playing, you know, no high safeties throughout the game. Quentin, I'll let you take this one first because I have my own opinion on this. For me, I mean, I I wouldn't want to do anything that gets you more out of rhythm or more out of sync than what you're trying to do as long as you're hammering details and, you know, those assignment sound, um, you know, expectations of, of your positions. So I, without knowing exactly how Scotty Hazleton's handled a triple option before, uh, Drew, I think we've talked before about how Kleiman has done against triple option teams as time with North Dakota State. Again, different level. Um but I, it's not something that's completely foreign to him on what he's coached against. So, me personally, I don't think we do anything that's outside the norm for us. Yeah, and my, I, I agree with you there because, you know, you, you look at this triple option attack and say, well, you know, it's simple. Just put an eight-man box, nine-man box in there and just plug up against the run. That'll, that'll slow that down. Well... The way they run this, and you know, especially when they're running out of the flex bone, um, they will. Um, I mean, that leaves you open to a lot of things, just in terms of the quick sweeps that they get it out there on the edge, you know, just like that. I mean, like if you see them, like you know, where they have the the wing backs positioned, you know, about a yard behind the tackle or the tight end. And then about a half yard up the field from them, 
the quarterback will literally get the ball and he'll just pitch it right out there on a rope. Like to where that thing is out there immediately. And if you have everyone sucked in inside, I mean, you, you get outflanked and away they go. Perimeter tackling is going to yeah. be crucial in this yeah. game. Our safeties are going to have to be are going to have to be on point making tackles out in the open field because that's again to your point that's the sweeps and the options it's one on one a lot of the times uh, outside of the tackle box yeah and Dilu, I knew you had some uh, you know I know you just pour over you know box scores and you know the data and you had some kind of interesting um, you had some interesting anecdotes about uh, what Chris Kleiman's done against uh, some triple option teams before in the past, don't you? Yeah, and let me tell you, he's dominated. He's completely dominated. He's embarrassed triple option teams in the past. And most recently uh, was when North Dakota State played uh, the Cal Poly Mustangs. Mm. Uh, famous triple option team right there. Oh, in a vaunted attack. Yeah, you think, you think famous triple option teams. You think... Cal Poly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right in the way. It's top yeah. it's, you start uh, with Cal Poly. You start, that's right. That's exactly where you start. And, and, then, and then for me, after them, I go to Wofford. Well, hold on to your hat because we'll get to them in a second. Oh, okay. But the first one, against Cal Poly, uh, Kleiman and the North Dakota State Bison defeated them 49-3. to Okay? So not much of a... Not much of a... A drubbing. Uh, yeah, not much of a fight there put on by the Mustangs. And then... Uh, after that, he or before that, excuse me, he faced Wofford. And let me just tell you, um, in the FCF playoff game in 2017, the Bison defeated the Terriers 42-10. to Okay? Wow. So in the last 120 minutes of foot of option, triple option football that Chris Kleiman has faced off against, 13 points. Okay? Yeah. Well, that Wofford Mike Ayers uh, triple option attack is always one that's you know more, one of the more deadly ones down there at the FCS level. Textbook, and uh, you know that speaks to the level of you know Chris Kleiman's familiarity with uh, knowing how to defend that. You you know he'll be super involved in, in the defensive game plan as uh, leading up to uh, to Navy. You at least you would expect that. Yeah, and and you know Mike Ayers has been around the block, and he's. Kind of written a lot of the, lot oh, of yeah. the rules to the office. Yeah, 30, 30 year uh, veteran of, of running that up there at Wofford. And, you know, he's uh, he's one of the fathers of, of the triple option attack. No question about it. Absolutely. So, and we, I mean, we love that here, the short side option. Oh, we, we love fathers we, of the triple option oh, attack. Oh, absolutely. Man. We, uh, we can't say enough good things about him. That's right. So, um, well, it's one of our favorite kinds of options. Oh, because you can run that to the short side. Maybe. Oh, absolutely, no question, no question. And before we get into our predictions, I just want to ask real quick: player, what's a player to watch for K State uh, against against Navy? Whether if it's offensive, defensive, someone that you think might be might be primed for a big one. Uh, for me, it's it starts with Trey Deshaun on the defensive side, handling that A gap and really being assignment sound, taking up those gaps and watching for that fullback dive and eliminating that first the first read out of it. So, uh, and him being healthy, him being in shape, being in there on the place, it's it's going to be critical to have that senior leader on the on the front end of your defensive attack. Yeah, because the one thing too is if you don't stop the dive, you have no chance. 
you're against, done. Against yeah. the triple option. If you don't stop the dive, you're so, done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have no chance. And I think K-State will do some good things in terms of, of bringing some pressure through the A-gap, but also uh, I think Deshaun and and uh, Jordan Mitty, uh, Drew Wiley, Joe Davies, that group that rotates in there, you're hopeful that they're able to kind of contain that on their own where you don't have to do anything exotic bringing uh, further pressure into the A-gap. But I, I think that's a great uh, great point there, Quinn. Uh, Dilo, how about you? Any, any Yeah, you I, think, I think, like Quentin said, I think the interior of the defensive line is important. I also think that ends are important too because those are the guys that um, are the key guys a lot of times on those outside reads. But for me, I think it's uh, Daquan Patton is, okay. is the guy that I'm looking to to be kind of the rover um, in the middle and just kind of lead the flow to the ball and not get lost on not bite on counters because uh, I think that, you know, in the modern day, the linebackers have kind of fallen by the wayside. But back when you saw a bunch of heavy run-oriented offenses, it, it seemed like linebackers were just the end-all, be-all of, of what defenses were built on. And so I think um, against Navy, I think Daquan Patton's going to be a guy that uh, is super important. Um and I look for him to have a big uh, tackle number uh, on on uh, after the bowl game. Well, no question about that. I'm going to stay also on the defensive side of the ball for mine, and I'm going to highlight two guys. I'm going to highlight. Oh, I didn't know we could take two. Well, I'm going to highlight two of them because I want to. Okay. Well, I if you have you, a, I guess you're the icon. If you, you have a problem with want. it, take it up with your write your congressman. Yeah, write your congressman. Yeah, it's not like they're doing anything worth of. Well, worth of time right now anyway. Don't get me started about Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyway. Worship. Well, but I'm going to look at Goolsby and uh, Mr. Wayne Jones. because I I will So all three layers, boys. And here's the thing, though. And here's the thing, though, about them that I'm worried about. I've seen some of the angles they've taken in the past year. You take bad angles against Malcolm Perry, you'll see his... You'll see number ten scooting in the inside, just sailing away. Just throw out the protractor. No and uh, I'll tell you what, it's it, you got to be dependable tackles, obviously, when it gets to you in that level of defense. But uh, no question. So for those of you keeping track at home, keep your eye on the defensive line, the linebackers, and the secondary. Because all because those parts, huge. those part, those are going to be key. They for are. K State's. Chances to stop Navy. This and then also, I'm going to also go to the offensive side of the ball. So I'm going to list three. And because no, you guys didn't list anyone on the offense, I'm going to list one. Just one. Okay. Malik Knowles. Big game. Big game. All right. He gets a little bit of time to get healthy. Get that, uh, well, it was the collarbone. It was his foot for a while. He gets about a month off now to kind of get really healed up. I think K-State fans are going to remember what they saw from Malik Knowles against that in that Bowling Green game, catching in, hauling in two touchdown passes in that one, both on kind of deep balls from Skylar Thompson. I think Malik Knowles is going to have a big game on Saturday. I, or, like, I excuse me, not Saturday. That'll be a uh, that'll be a Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot because I do think that uh, if. That I think Navy's defense, their weak spots uh, through the in pass coverage yeah. for sure. Um, so I like that. I like that pick with Malik okay. Knowles. Hey, uh, thank you, man. I appreciate. Maybe it. this is a big young blood 
breakout performance actually receiving the ball. You can you can definitely count on that too. I think. I mean, in terms of of that being an option, because really when you look at what K State wants to do, attacking the edge with young blood, it's been more on jet sweeps or bubbles, getting the ball out to them quickly. Um, so let's let's hear one for you, Q, on the on the offensive side of the ball. No, I think definitely you guys hit the, the big points with the receivers. I, I think from a, a skill set matchup, our receivers should be able to to create separation and have that opportunity to make big plays. Uh, again, I mean, back to the recruiting. I mean, your quarterback is what makes your offense go, and I think Skyler making good decisions. Hurting them with you know a little dose of their own medicine with him being being on the ground and um, you know finding some ways to create plays there is going to be critical for our offense to to be sustainable and to stay on the field. Yep. And with Skyler, it's not going to probably be the you know like you saw sometimes with uh, with uh, Malcolm Perry where it's a fifty. I mean, when you it's unbelievable. I'm looking through his game log right now. I'm going to just run down every game this season real quick for you in terms of his long rushing, longest rushing plays in, in, in games. Army, 55 yards. Houston, 54 yards. SMU, 70 yards. Notre Dame, 46 yards. UConn, 58. Tulane, 38. Uh, South Florida, 67. Tulsa, 47. Air Force, only 20. Memphis, 27. Eastern Carolina, 30. And Holy Cross, the Crusaders, coming in at only 12 yards. They, they bottled him up, really, when you look at it. Yeah. 10, yard, 10 rushes for 28 yards for a guy who averaged, you know, gosh, when you look at uh, this, I mean, he averaged six yards a car- seven yards a carry, 21 touchdowns. Really a remarkable season for Malcolm Perry. You know, if, if K-State fans just maybe got familiar with him um, after – after Navy was drawn as as K State's uh, bowl game opponent uh, in the Liberty Bowl, and maybe got to see him against Army, you, you missed out on watching one of the greater uh, on one of the great individual seasons uh, this year in college football. So I mean, those are probably I don't remember what Eric Crouch's 2001 Heisman numbers were, but probably not all that different than. Uh, what Malcolm Perry put up this year. It's a really good point because uh, he really does. Malcolm Perry does really have that speed that when you think of, you know, quarterbacks that run the option, you know, similar in stature to what we saw with uh, Murray last year at Oklahoma in terms of just how quick. Yeah, he not, could, a, how, not a how real he, big physical guy. Different, completely yeah. different offensive styles, but how. They're able to escape the pocket and make moves in the open field. It reminds me a little bit of watching Murray a little bit. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. I mean, when you look at uh, uh, Eric Crouch's Heisman winning year, uh, now granted he did it in one less game, but yeah, Malcolm Perry pretty well shreds that up. I mean, it's on the on rushing for sure. Rushing wise, now passing wise a little bit more for for Eric Crouch, but uh, no, no question. Malcolm Perry is no doubt a, a player to watch uh, for Navy. This has to be just about a record-breaking year for quarterback rushing yards. Has quarterback ever rushed for 1,800 yards before? That's a great question, Dylan. I don't know. I mean, You're the icon. Uh, I'm going to say no. It's never happened before. Oh, there you go, folks. It's never happened before. <laughs> Malcolm Perry is the greatest rushing quarterback in the history of college football. Take so, it to the bank. There it is. So uh, let's go ahead and give our predictions here. Um, 
Quentin, do you want to lead us off? Yep. Sure can, Icon. So just to kind of uh, sum it all up, I think the best case uh, scenario for K-State happened during the Army-Navy game. Navy getting the attention of, uh, of our program, our coaches, our players with an astounding win like that. Uh, I think that brings the focus in on the game a lot more. Navy stays a ranked opponent. Yep. Uh, I think our team comes in, and a little fun fact, while the defensive coordinator at Wyoming, again, different offenses, but Scotty Hazleton, the bearded one's record against Air Force, 2-0. Hey, you know what other triple yeah. option team he played against? Wofford. What do you think he did to Wofford while he was I at Wyoming? Killed him. Killed him. Killed him. <laughs> I think the bearded one comes in with some experience on the coaching against the triple option. K-State, 34, Navy, 21. All right, 34, 21. Any, what's your pick for bowl MVP? Bowl MVP, give me Trey Deshaun. Let him rub his belly a little bit. There we go. A couple it. big plays against Perry out of the backfield, crushing that, that fullback dive, shrinking it. Give me Trey Deshaun. All right, D'Lo? Um, I think K-State wins it. Uh, I think K-State's offense is going to do enough to win. I mean, the, you have to remember in this game, there's going to be very few possessions for either team. K-State can't afford to kind of do that thing where they'll go two quarters yeah, they, without they scoring. They should do that thing. No, I, <laughs> because, enough of that. Because that is – they don't have the time to be – Nor the inclination. Five straight possessions or anything. Absolutely. Uh but uh, I think K-State's offense is going to be efficient enough. I think that uh, the receivers are just going to outclass Navy's secondary. Um, and I think the K-State defense is good enough when you are facing when, – when you can devote more attention to the run game. Uh, I think K-State's defense is going to be good enough to, uh, to man up against Navy. I, mean, I think K-State's – I don't think K-State's – Notre Dame this year by any stretch, but I think they're closer to Notre Dame than than Navy will have seen all season. Okay. And so I, uh, I'll, I'll pick K-State to win this one, 28-24. Um, to 28-24, uh, so a close one. A close one, yes, but, you know, Navy gets a little garbage. Garbage time, touchdown, yeah. and uh, make, make it look a little bit closer. So, uh, okay, so we, we get by two folks uh, going with K-State here. Uh, I'm picking K-State as well. I can't uh, can't pick against them in this one. Uh, K-State does enter this game as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. So the underdog will be howling in Memphis. Uh, it's a clean sweep for us here on the short side option. Uh, oh, by the way, who is... By the, hey, by the way, I have a, I have a news, news blast here. Oh. Uh, there has been a quarterback who's rushed for 1,800 yards before. And in fact... Definitely not. He rushed for uh, 1,900 yards the following season. Okay. And he's played in the last five years. Okay. Uh, I take it back. I'm bad at that. <laughs> his last years. year was 2013. Okay. Mm. Does that count the bowl game that he played in? Uh, it was the 2013 season. Okay. Power five. The, and does that does that count the Does he have 13, 14 games, or is he uh, is that just a 12? 14 games. So he's gonna he's gonna pass that probably, maybe not. Maybe maybe not. Okay. Okay. Who do you think it is? Jordan Lynch. That's right. Okay. Very good. That's a good job. That's why he's the icon. Well, uh, I, I'm just projecting that 
Malcolm Perry is going to run for the most. So, but anyway, I wanted to get back to you real quick here, Dilo. Who's your MVP of uh, the game? I, I I'm actually going to go. I think Malik Knowles uh, is You're still my guy. Huh? Yeah, okay. I think so. I think you're right. I, I really like that. But actually, you know what? I take that back. I'm going Jordy. Going Jordy. Yeah, and a swan okay. son. A swan shot. A, sh- a, a swan son. A shown. Shown son. Song. Yeah. I like that. That could be. That could kind of work out. Yeah. It's a nice little plan words there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Donald Jones had a nice little uh, year here at the end. Uh, so you're going Shown as your MVP? Yeah, I'll I'm, go Shown. I'm going K-State 31 Navy 21. And my MVP, we talk so much about Malcolm Perry and what he means to this, this Navy offense. My MVP is going to be Skylar Thompson. He p- picks up a couple uh, big plays uh, through the air, picks up a couple big plays with his feet on the ground, and uh, I think he's going to be the difference uh, for K-State on, uh, on the field in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee against this Navy team. So I'm going to go K-State 31-21. So we're all in agreement seeing K-State score in the, in the low 30s, about the same thing with um, Navy all scoring in kind of in the low to mid-20s. So I think uh, I think that pretty well puts a wrap up on this one, boys. What do we think? Yeah, Anything I, else you'd like to add? I, no, not really. I think that just K-State – no, just reiterate what uh, Quentin said earlier. It's, it's just a matter of K-State secondary keeping the ball in front of them and not – Letting Navy go off for extreme chunk plays. Hopefully, uh, those folks in the defensive backfield that listed Ghouls being Wayne Jones, they've been taking their geometry classes, getting those protractors out, knowing how to take good angles. That's right. Yeah. I think it's a tremendous opportunity to get to nine wins. Uh, finish the be, season ranked. To yeah. finish the season ranked. Uh, I think Possibly. Would, Most likely. Most likely. Uh, yeah. But really exciting into what's been a good season. Uh, yeah, it's been a nice season. It's been a nice season for us. Um, but no, uh, really excited about it. And uh, go Cats. Well, folks, I think that will pretty well do it here for us on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, K-State takes on Navy. Uh, 245 on New Year's Eve. What a great way uh, to ring in the New Year a little bit early. Uh, hopefully with K-State victory uh, over the midshipmen in what should be, uh, you know, a really good uh, Liberty Bowl. So that will do it for us here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, Folks, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year from us here at the Short Side Option. And uh, we will uh, come to you next uh, after the Liberty Bowl, uh, where we uh, will will break down the Liberty Bowl and uh, really kind of provide a wrap up here for the season uh, in what has been a a nice season here for Chris Kleiman uh, here in 2019. So, folks, that'll do it for us here on the Short Side Option. Thank you for listening, and go Cats!